Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. As we've been walking through Hebrews, we are in chapter 3. And this week we are going to conclude in where we kind of started last week in the beginning of chapter 3. We looked at the first few verses and today we're going to read the rest of the chapter and uh, we're going to see what the Lord has for us in Hebrews 3 as a continuation of what we've already been studying. We talked about faithfulness last week. But before we do that, I want you to think about this word perseverance. And I was trying to think of examples and one came to mind uh, of Terry Fox. Now there's many examples that we could use for perseverance, but certainly he would be one uh, gentleman that could be used to explain what perseverance looks like. Perseverance is doing something despite there being difficulty, despite knowing what the outcome is going to be, and even despite achieving success, or maybe that success comes later. Perseverance is persevering in light of that, in those circumstances, and Terry Fox certainly did that. He was a man who lost his leg to cancer at the age of 18, and when he was in the cancer ward and saw the, the way things were and the way the treatment was for those that were in those wards, he said, I'm going to do something about this, or at least raise awareness about it. And so he trained to run a marathon, and he trained and ran over 5,000 kilometers in order to do this marathon, and we know this marathon very well. The Terry Fox Marathon that we celebrate and run every year in our school, certainly. And we celebrate what he did, the work that he did. But Terry ran around 42 kilometers a day. He ran from 4.30 to 7 p.m. And he ran in any circumstance, in the weather, humid, rain, sun, whatever it was. If there were people there supporting him in the city that he was in, he was running alongside them. But when he was in other places, I kind of looked at his track and I thought there's parts of Newfoundland that he must have been running days by himself um, unless there was a lot of people there. And so certainly he ran and with a cause on days when nobody was there with him besides the people and the, the friend that he had taken with him. And then there were days where he would sleep in his van if he couldn't afford a hotel. There were days he just didn't know what it was going to bring, but he persevered because he believed in what he was doing and, and, and why he was running and because of the experience that he had. And his goal was to raise at that time in 1980, $1 for every Canadian. And he did end up achieving that goal. I think there was 24 million Canadians around that time and he did end up, end up achieving his goal. But on September 1st, 143 days after he started running, he ran over 5,000 kilometers he was forced to stop just in Thunder Bay, Ontario. And the thing that stopped him was his cancer. It came back and it, and it hit his lungs. And so he couldn't run anymore. And he had no idea what this running was going to do besides his goal of raising awareness. He wasn't trying to be famous. He had no idea what it was going to achieve. And today, they have raised over $850 million in support of cancer research because of that Terry Fox run because of the things that we do now running in the name of Terry Fox and he didn't know what it was going to accomplish and yet he persevered and in light of his difficulties and his limitations he persevered and it's a great picture for us of perseverance of what that looks like and this morning as we come to Hebrews 3 we're going to be faced with that challenge as Christians that idea of perseverance and the nation of Israel is our example this morning of that. And so let's read Hebrews 3, starting in verse 7, and we'll read through verse 15 this morning. It says in verse 7, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts 
as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. This is the word of the Lord. A quote from Psalm 95. The, the author of Hebrews frames an argument around the Psalm, uh, Psalm 95. And so he, ex- he exegetes it for us. And we get to see how he applies Psalm 95 to the congregation that he preached this to a thousand years after it was written. And for us, 2,000 years later, the same truths apply, and they apply to us in the same ways, and the warning is the same. And so we see in Psalm 95 is a direct quote uh, from Scripture, and to the Jew, this was familiar. And as we look at the outline of the passage, the first few verses that quote Psalm 95, they come to us as a warning, and then in the middle of that, in verse 12 through 15, there is some kind of encouragement or exhortation to the believers, and then following that, There's questions, three questions, that are answered with three more questions. Each question is given, and then a question is given to answer that question that was said. And it's meant to, those were meant to penetrate the hearts of those that were listening to this and considering the nation of Israel in Psalm 95. And in God's providence, we are reading about the nation of Israel right now in our Bible reading plan. So if you're doing that, Uh, This is a good time for us to be covering and looking at the nation of Israel. But for some reason, the Hebrews author and and to his audience, there are people, there are believers that are wavering in their faith. They're struggling. They know Christ and they probably believe in him or to some degree have some kind of belief in him. And yet they're struggling. Maybe they're being mocked. Maybe there's persecution Maybe there's, they're afraid. Maybe there's sin that is vying for their commitment rather than God. They're holding off their commitment to God and for some reason and in some way. And the Hebrew authors is encouraging them and challenging them here. And so as we come to the passage, what I want to do is consider in our first point the path of rejection, which is the first half and the second half of our passage. And then our second point is going to look at the middle of our passage. So the path of rejection. Israel's example in the wilderness is an example to us of what becomes of those who turn their hearts from God and turn away from God and the consequences that come as a result of that. So verse 7, what we see first is that God's Holy Spirit speaks. God's Holy Spirit spoke to the nation of Israel. God spoke to the nation of Israel. And God's Holy Spirit speaks now. This argument from the author is that Scripture is, has authority and it is inspired. And you see that there when he says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, he's applying a passage written a thousand years ago to today, saying the Holy Spirit speaks this to you today. Listen. The authority and the inspiration of God's Word that's applicable now to us even thousands of years 
later. God's Word is timeless. The truths that are in it are timeless because it's inspired by Him. And everything in it is in there so that we might grow in godliness and in holiness and looking like our Savior. And so it has authority, certainly. And that's what he stands on as he brings this to his audience, the Hebrew authors, this morning. And the second thing we see, though, in these verses, as we consider the example of Israel, we know fairly familiar, or we are fairly familiar with the example Israel set for us. And if you're not, just read the first half of Exodus, and you'll see time and time again what they've walked through as a nation and how God's called them and worked in their lives and shown miracle after miracle. And then they come to the wilderness, and they forsake Him, and they complain, and they grumble, and they're not happy with what God has planned and the way that He has planned it. And the reality for us in that, as we see in verse 8 and 9, is that a great start to the Christian life does not ensure that you're going to have a great finish. Just because you start out great, just because you start out seeing all these miracles and God working in this amazing way like the nation of Israel did, does not mean that you automatically are going to finish the race well in your faith with God. Just think about the nation of Israel, the exodus. The reality for us is that it's possible to have a remarkable exodus story in our lives and to have parts of our lives feel like that and yet we can fall and we can stumble when trouble comes and when hard times come. And so often we are tempted to rely on our own strength or even to rely on the faith that we had. I don't know how many times I've heard or people have said to me or, or I've heard it said anyways when you ask somebody about their, their confession of faith and and certainly there's some great examples of people that can call to mind a time where they remember accepting the, Jesus Christ as their Savior when they were younger. But there are other people who come and say, well, mom and dad said I made a profession when I was four. But to me now, I mean, that's what I stand on is, is that mom and dad said I made this profession when I was a young kid. That shouldn't be the case. The Holy Spirit's message to the church in Psalm 95 and to the struggling church now is that a great start does not ensure that there's a great finish. Some will hold on to their faith confessions that they made when they were younger, and others will not. Some will hold on as a means to saying, I'm saved now because I said that, or I made that, or I prayed that prayer at this time in my life. And they won't look to the fruit of a changed life in their life now. They'll look to a confession that they made years ago. And I'm not saying that believers do not sin and struggle. That's not what I'm saying. But we cling tightly to something and then we forget and forsake the fruit of that life right now. And it's a warning to the Hebrew believers, to these believers and to the nation of Israel. The fruit of a repentant life and a changed life is the most comforting thing when it comes to eternal security. Do I have a repentant, changed life? It's not enough to look back on a time as grounds for salvation, although certainly that may be the case, but is it evidenced now? Is it evidenced now in my life? A great start does not ensure a great finish. It takes a lot of trust, it takes a lot of faith, and it takes a lot of grace from God to bring us to the end, as we're going to see as we walk through later. The third thing we see, though, is that the hard-heartedness, especially in the nation of Israel, and this is a 
applies to us, hard-heartedness leads to unbelief. In verse 10 and 16, as we follow those verses, therefore I was provoked, in verse 10, with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. When the nation of Israel stopped listening to God and allowed those things to slide, it led to hard-heartedness. It led to more unbelief in who God was and what He had said. Hard-heartedness leads us to unbelief. Verse 16, for those who heard, sorry, he says, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt by Moses? The people that had seen everything, seen all the miracles. Those are the ones who had heard from God and yet chose to rebel. Hard-heartedness leads us into unbelief. When we decide to reject God's word and the things that he says, it leads us on that path. But so often we want to do the things that we want to do. We want things to be the way that we want them to be. And God, the Creator, has made it clear through divine revelation of His Word that He is the authority, that He is the one who knows the right way for us to live, who has the, the plan for our most flourishing as believers and as children of God. He knows. But the reality is that we saw, as we see in your example, is that the more that you turn your heart away from God and listen to other things, whether that be yourself or the world or the flesh, the easier it is to continue in unbelief. And that comes as a warning, as we're going to see. The fourth thing, though, is that unbelief, as we foster hard-heartedness and as that starts and as that grows and as unbelief grows, unbelief in verse 10 and 17, it leads to disobedience. Unbelief in who God is and what He has said, it leads us to disobedience. When we don't believe what He said in His Scriptures, it leads us to disobey. It's who He says He is, that He is as good as He says He is, that He is all-powerful as He says He is. We don't believe that, and so our actions reflect that. At the heart of every sin against God is this struggle, this wrestling with unbelief. Am I going to believe what God has said is good? Or am I going to choose what appears to be better? Why do we grumble and complain? Because we don't think God's plan is good. Because we don't think God is good. Because we don't think He has our best interest. Why do we choose a particular sin over God, over obedience? Because that sin promises and that temptation promises that it's going to deliver on something that it's not going to. And so we have a choice of who we're going to believe. Why did Adam and Eve in the garden eat the fruit? Because they were tempted to doubt what God had said. When we don't believe what God says, we're much closer to disobedience. And then we see after that that disobedience leads to this rejection of God. In verse 12 and 18 through 19, Israel rejected God. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient in verse 18 19. So we see that they were unable to enter rest because of unbelief. Unbelief leading to disobedience, leading to being rejected by God and rejecting or being rejected the rest that God had promised to them. What happened to the nation of Israel when they were in the wilderness and there was complaining? How a generation, they had to wander for 40 years while a generation died off, the, de- the generation that complained that saw the greatness of God and the miracles of God and yet rejected it. 
God told them that they're not going to receive the promise that he had made to them because of their disobedience. And so the promised land is the rest spoken about to, the, to Israel. They didn't receive that. And for us, that's different. And we'll see that later. But verse 12 says something to us. Take care lest, you believe, lest your unbelieving heart leads you to fall away from the living God. Disobedience leads to rejection. To rejection of God, but not just an idea of God, but the living God, according to verse 12. You're not just rejecting a religion, you're rejecting the living God. And that's a warning, a warning to us as we read this, and a warning to these believers to not reject the living God. But an ongoing life of disobedience and unbelief will lead one to reject God, even somebody who believes in God. And so that warning comes to us as believers. Is there a sin in your life that you are not fighting against? Is there a sin in your life that you love too much to give up right now? Are you pursuing something that you know displeases God? Are you pursuing something more than God? Do you love something else above Him? Disobedience in the Christian life leads to unbelief and hard-heartedness. And this is why it's so important for us to see the nation of Israel's example and to heed this warning just as it was to the Hebrew authors. And then finally what we see in Israel's example is that those who reject are under God's wrath. In verse 11, the result of a hardened heart towards God for the nation of Israel was judgment. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. They did not receive the promises that God had for them. God was angry. He was vexed is this idea of this word that we see in verse 11. I swore in my wrath. For those who choose to, to not to believe, they are under God's wrath. And the greatest sin of all sin is the sin of unbelief. To not believe in God and who He is and what He has done for us and the way that He's made for us through His Savior, Jesus Christ. Unbelief is what separates us from God for eternity. So you're probably asking then at this point, how could, as we consider the nation of Israel, how could a nation under God, recipients of God's grace, fall so easily into unbelief and disobedience? And the, the challenge for us as we read this scripture this morning is that perseverance in the faith is not a foregone conclusion in the sense that if I've placed my faith and, and prayed the prayer at this age, it's not a guarantee that I am going to finish the race and persevere in my faith. Not that I'm going to lose it, as we're going to see, but that I might not persevere because there are challenges that are going to come and life is going to be difficult. Look at the nation of Israel. They knew who God was. They saw Him for who He was. And yet they got to the wilderness. They complained. They, dis they didn't believe. They disobeyed. And God took that from them. They were never really, truly believers in God because their life didn't show it. So I can well, it's certainly possible for his people now. What's possible, that what was possible for the nation of Israel is the same for us. And so it's a warning to those who know the gospel, who affirm its truth, but who maybe love sin more than God or are afraid of persecution and following God, or maybe there's something else. But some reason, for some reason, they are committed to God as they should be, to the truth that they know is real. It's like this that we illustrated. Imagine that you were trapped on the 10th floor of a building of a hotel room and there was a fire going on 
and people are yelling at you to jump. And you look around and you've seen the fire and you see the people, you see the way out and you hesitate. You're not sure. I'm not sure if I want to make that jump. And maybe you know the danger, you know what's going to happen. Maybe you're scared. Maybe you want to go back and grab some possessions before you do that. Maybe you're scared of what's going to happen if you do jump. Are you going to make it? Are you going to be safe? Whatever the case may be, you know the danger, but you don't act on what is necessary to save you. Simply knowing about the danger and the way of escape without actually jumping in this situation means you die. And such are some of us who hold back our commitment to God. A confession of faith has been made, but we are beginning to fall back. And so in our, the rest of our time, we're going to look at the path to perseverance in the middle section of our verses here as we consider the remaining verses. And so we see the path to perseverance. In these verses, we find the cure for a hardened heart and for spiritual drift from God. But the question is, why is there a path to perseverance? Rebellion to God leads us away from God from, to what God has prepared for us, which is rest, which is for us eternal life. And so there's a path to perseverance to that eternal life. And first thing we see in verse 12, this warning to us, it says, be on guard or take care. Verse 12 says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an unbelieving, evil heart leading you to fall away from the living God. You and I can fall prey just like the nation of Israel did. And in Proverbs 4.23, it says, Keep your heart with all vigilance. For what? From it flows the springs of life. To fall away means to willfully apostatize, which means to willfully turn away from a confession that you have made or from a religion or whatever that may be. To turn away from a truth that's been revealed to you. To willfully apostatize. That's what this idea of falling away means and carries. The abandonment, the renunciation of God, a belief in Him. And so being on guard means you understand that there's a spiritual war going on around you and that Satan hates you and Satan wants to destroy you and that he would love for nothing else but for you to reject God and not believe God and who He says He is and what He's done for us. And so you have to recognize that and be on guard for me and you. Just because we've made a profession of faith does not mean that we are not susceptible to unbelief. And you know that as well as I do. But in verse 12 and 13, we're also encouraged with the reality that God will not let any, let any of His elect fall away into to destruction. He will keep them from falling. Jude 1 verse 24 says this, Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. This is why the doctrine of perseverance of the saints is so encouraging for us. Because if we have true, genuine, saving faith, God is going to make that faith persevere till the end. And therefore, if it doesn't, it's evidence that there is not true, genuine, saving faith. But a question for you this morning. Why do you believe that you're going to wake up a Christian tomorrow morning? Why do you believe you're going to wake up a Christian tomorrow? Why do you think you will have saving faith tomorrow when you wake up? And the answer to that question is not because you're going to choose Him tomorrow if you have true, genuine, saving faith. The answer is that God is faithful, that God is going to work in me, that God will keep me, that we read in Philippians 1, that God will finish the work that He started in us and that ongoing work in us He's going to bring to completion. 
It's not my ongoing commitment that assures my eternity in heaven. It's God's perseverance and of that faith. So sometimes we understand eternal security to be kind of like a vaccine, where if I get it, I'm converted, and then I am kind of immune from the disease of unbelief and believing in who God is and what He's done for me and falling away from that. But our preservation to the end is not something that's automatic without an ongoing work of God's Spirit in us, the great physician and the great Savior. And John Piper says it like this, perseverance is not like a vaccination, but like a lifelong therapy program in which the great physician stays with you all the way to the end. He's there with you, carrying you along, and as we read later, praying for you and bringing the good work that God has started working in you, bringing that to completion. How many times in the New Testament are we called to hold fast? Last week we read hold fast, and this week again we see it to hold our original confidence. In 1 Corinthians it says this, chapter 15, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. This idea of, in the perseverance of the saints is this idea that Yes, God is going to bring about the completion of that work that He started in me, and yet, in God's providence, He has planned for it that I have a role to play in that, holding fast to the confession, holding on to Jesus, focusing on Christ, and the belief in the gospel. That's all important and all needed and necessary for our perseverance. So the first thing we see is to be on guard, and the second thing is to exhort one another daily. We need each other. We said this last week. We need the community of other believers. And exhort, to exhort someone means to come alongside. And to come alongside, you have to gather together and be together to exhort somebody in their faith. Which means we don't just come to church for fellowship every once in a while when it works for us. That's not what this idea of exhorting and coming alongside is. It's this daily walking alongside of and coming alongside of. It's not like when you get your teeth checked and you only have to go every six months right? Which is even too much for me. I don't know about you guys, but I'd be happy to go not that often, but we, we need that. We need that, that checkup. But as a Christian, we need that daily checkup. We need that regular communion and exhortation from each other. And if you don't know another believer's struggles, or if you don't make your struggles known, then you can't fulfill or obey this command to exhort one another daily. And so we need each other. The Scriptures talk about one another over 50 times. It says it calls us to serve one another, to care for one another, to love one another constantly. And we do that in community together. Mutual watchfulness is a strategy that God has employed to help us persevere in our faith to the end. And accountability is a great ally in that war of persevering in our faith. So we exhort one another daily. And then in verse 13 we see... We are to display vigilance against a hard heart. What does verse 13 say? But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We see it again. You, believers, people who profess faith in Christ, there's an opportunity, there's a scenario in which you could be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin in your own life and eventually maybe causing you to walk away from the living God and to fall away willfully because you chose it sin is deceptive it's tricky it never appears as it is and a spiritually hard person rarely sees that they are in that 
position or that they have that heart towards God. But sin separates us from God. It shows us that we love something more than God. And so we can't be passive in the fight, waiting for the Christian life to be easy. Our allegiance to God is always going to be tested, always, because we live in a world that does not love God and does not know God. And so a hard heart, we can be tempted to that. When things go bad and we question and doubt God, when we blame Him, when we doubt His power and His love and His care for us. But it says in those verses today, today is the day of testing for us and rest is coming. And this is why God allows these things to happen in our lives now for our faith to be tested, which as it is tested will prove the genuineness of it. It reminds me of the words in Mark 9 when the father of the boy who has an unclean spirit comes to Jesus and says, help me if you can. And Jesus says, all things are possible for the one who believes. And what does he say in verse 9, 24? The father immediately responds to Jesus and says, I believe, help my unbelief. There's a faith there, there's a belief there, but help me in my unbelief. A faith that is tested is a faith that is real. And if we want assurance of our salvation, we must persevere under trials. And then in verse 14, we're challenged and encouraged to hold on to the gospel. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence, what? Firm to the end. Not just if I hold on to this, this, that I made, this confession that I made earlier in my life, but if I hold on to that promise from now until the end. The original confidence. What is that? Our original confidence. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why we need the gospel. We need to remind ourselves of the gospel daily. The implications of the gospel need to be on our hearts and on our lips and on our minds daily. And if not, there is an opportunity for us, for our hearts to be hardened in, in sin towards God. So what do we learn about ourselves and God through the gospel? We learn that we're holy. We learn that we're blameless. That God's working in us through His Holy Spirit. That we're forgiven. That we're children of God. That we're joint heirs with Christ. So we're going to inherit the promises that God has for Jesus Christ. We are joint heirs with Him. That we're not our own, right? That we've been bought with a price. That the, the great price was paid for us in Jesus Christ on the cross. All of these are reminders to us in the, through the gospel and the reminder of what Jesus has done for us. And we need that and we need to hold on to that as we spoke of last week and as we see in the beginning of chapter 3. This and so much more. And if we've truly believed the gospel and committed our lives to Christ, then at the end of the day, at the end of the year, and at the end of our life, our commitment will stand. Because God is going to bring that to completion. And so the greatest proof of our faith is our continuance in it. And some of us know, how, know very well how to walk the walk and talk the talk of Christian faith, but we're not really committed. And so the greatest proof is our continuance in it and then we see finally in verse 15 that we ought to listen to the holy spirit this is also seen in verse 7 but he brings it around again as he concludes this in verse 15 as it is said he's applying this passage in psalm 85 to you today and he's therefore by doing that applying it to us today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion god speaks to us he speaks to you through his word and He speaks to you, and He is speaking to you today. 
What's he saying to you this morning? Is there something that you need to give up? Is there something that you need to ask for forgiveness for? Is there something that you need to trust God with or believe about God? Is there something that you're struggling to believe about who he says he is and about what he and about his goodness? When God speaks and when God prompts you, obey. That's the challenge for us. That's the encouragement for us. Don't delay in your obedience to God. Lest you be led into unbelief and disobedience and turning away from Him. See, the opposite of a hard heart is a tender heart. And a tender heart is, someone, is a heart that is easily penetrated by God and His Word as He speaks to us. But that word today that we see in these verses right now, it carries this idea of urgency, which we saw in our points. Right now. Think about the decision that needs to be made and don't delay Don't say, oh God, let me do this first or that first or I'd like to achieve this or get this job or just have this in my home or get to this financial stability before I'm able to obey you, God, because by that point, it's too late. We've delayed in our obedience to the point where we aren't going to fulfill our word there or there will just be something else. So don't put off the decisions that need to be made because they won't get done. The Israelites would not commit themselves to God, even with all the evidence in the wilderness and before getting to the wilderness. They could not and they would not commit, commit themselves to God. The challenge and the, the warning to us is not to make excuses for being obedient to God. Don't harden your hearts like they did at the wilderness. Or you will lose the opportunity that is there for you, just like they did. They, they lost the opportunity of rest. And so the evidence for us is in. We have Jesus Christ. We're not in need of any more evidence of God, any more proof of God. We have all of that in His Son. He doesn't need to prove Himself to us anymore. We have His Word. We know who He is. And if you continue to follow your evil, unbelieving heart, you will turn away from the living God. But this encouragement for us as we close from Luke 22, verse 32, it's a prayer that Jesus prays for Simon, for Peter. In verse 31, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus prayed for Peter and he prayed that his faith would not fail. And Jesus is interceding for us right now before the Father and he's praying the same prayer. He's praying that the faith that began in us, the good work that he began in us through his Holy Spirit would come to completion in our lives. That our lives daily would show it, would show the continuance of our faith. So what does our behavior indicate? A hardening, unbelieving heart or the blessed tenderness of a faithful, persevering heart this morning? Would you pray with me as we conclude? God, we thank you for your scriptures this morning and for this time to come together and to read and understand. And we thank you for the clarity that is for us, the example set for us by the author of Hebrews as he lays out for us what it looks like for us as believers to wrestle with our faith. We thank you, God, that your spirit is in us if we have true saving faith and that that spirit is going to continue that work in us and bring it to completion in the day of Christ when Jesus comes back. But God, we recognize that somewhere along the lines in, in this, in all of this, in you calling us, we have a responsibility to be a part of 
persevering, to be obedient, to listen to your Holy Spirit when it speaks to us, when He speaks to us through your Word, through other believers, through community together as we gather on Sunday. And God, we pray that you would help us, that you would give us clarity and wisdom, that you would help us to believe you for who you say you are and not to turn away from you, God, not to allow ourselves to delay in our obedience to you because we have an example set before us from the nation of Israel of delayed obedience and continued unbelief and disobedience. And God, so we ask this morning for your help to do that. And we are so encouraged that you working in us, that your Holy Spirit working in us will bring about that in our lives as you work in our hearts daily. God, we thank you so much for what you've done for us, for the gospel that we can hold and cling to dearly. And God, we ask for your grace this morning. And we pray in your son's holy name. Amen. We're going to start communion. We're going to sing after. So, as we come to communion this morning, I just want to remind you of the way that we uh, observe. So, for those in the, um, in the outside section in the middle, we'll have you come first and we'll have you come up. And there's also tables at the back for you, so you can do that and when we start. And then after that, we'll have the middle two sections come forward uh, as well. And you can take the emblems and, and sit down. And then uh, after that, we will pray and we will consider those uh, emblems this morning and be thankful this morning. But as we prepare our hearts for that, I want to just call to mind the last section of our church covenant, which we read in your hearing last week before you left. Let me read it for us this morning. We will work together for the continuance of a faithful evangelical ministry in this church as we sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines. We will contribute regularly according to God's word to the support of the ministry and the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. May we consider our role in that as we come to the table this morning. I want to pray and then I'm just going to give you a moment of reflection to examine your own heart before you take the emblems, um, whether there be some sin or whether there be some confession or whether there be uh, something that you need to deal with with God. And then we'll invite you to come up and uh, we will partake together. So let's have a moment before I pray. God, thank you for your Son, for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the reminder that we have this morning in our church covenant of the gospel that is going forth through the ministry of the local assembly of believers. God, we pray that you would help us to be faithful to the call to spread the gospel um, as we do it through the church. Help us to be faithful as a church to make the gospel the most important thing. God, and help us to be a part of that, to be committed to that in the ways that we have already done that. And God, we just are so grateful for your forgiveness and grace for us when we fail to prioritize in our lives what is important. And God, we are thankful that you love us still 
and for this reminder this morning uh, as we partake of the emblems of your blood shed for us, God, we thank you. We pray in your name. Amen.